Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And I'll give you all the other particulars a little bit later on in the program because we're going to jump right into our guest. We're kind of doing that more regularly here as we're into our 15th year of, of uh, producing and uh, broadcasting, podcasting, and now video casting this program uh, and 40 plus years of uh, talking with people about uh, what's important to them. And we have with us a gentleman who I, I grew up with. Uh, he was on the airwaves, both television and radio. Uh, his name is Shadow Stevens, and he joins us uh, via Zoom. I want to thank you so much for giving us this time because you have a couple of things that uh, I'm very excited to talk about. And one of them is actually one of the episodes of your mental radio uh, podcast, but also your mental radio podcast. Thanks for being with us. It is my pleasure. Always good to be with you. I, I, I have to say that um, when I first tapped into this particular edition of Mental Radio, I couldn't believe that you were going to have this guest on. One of my idols, uh, who has un sadly since passed, you had the opportunity of interviewing him before his, his passing. You had he and his wife in the studio mm -hmm. and then took them virtually. I loved this. Because radio is just that. It's it's virtual, too. Took them out into the parking lot, and you showed him this magnificent statue that you had erected in the courtyard of the complex where your studios are. And Very that gentleman's you name know, was Stan Freeberg. A team of engineers. They worked around the clock seven days a week for four months to put up that statue. It was a mighty statue, and it, and it, um, and it was a fountain. And, and what was so sad, though, was it came down so easily. I, I never understood that. <laughs> but then again, you did make it out of chocolate, and that's what I couldn't understand. But anyway, I, I was so I was really taken by the stories that he shared. You and I have those kinds of stories that maybe one day when we're, we're old and gray, uh, or in my case, older, um, uh, you know, we'll share with uh, family, friends, and maybe people on our respective programs. But uh, that I just I, I couldn't stop listening, and I actually listened to the extension to that pro program. I have, uh, a matter of fact, I grew up listening in grade school to the United States of America, the early years. Then I bought the middle years, which mm. wasn't I didn't find it as funny. But then again, because I'd grown up with the other, I found an album up in I want to say a Tascadero in a record shop. It might have been San Luis Obispo. Uh, and I still have it. It's called Stan Freeberg Pay Radio. And it was all vintage Governor Reagan humor and satire. It was it was wonderful. Nice, uh, but nice. that must have been quite a treat for you, because I'm sure you must have grown up listening to him as well. Well, he was one of my first uh, idols. Um, uh, you know, right down at the very beginning, I remember the Dragnet piece mm. and played it over and over again. It was that and the uh, song Flying Saucer <laughs> that, um, that just sparked my imagination as I must have been, I think, nine mm. years old. And my dad uh, had a tape recorder. So I started recording these things and I was instantly hooked. And I would cut them together, you know, like uh, record a little thing and then put it on pause and then record the next part. And I was amazed that the the thread, the continuity of the story would come to life. And, and I'm still doing it today. And now you're doing it. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was very inspiring and it was funny and it was uh, um, exciting. Yeah. And well, it still is. I well, still do. That's you know. the beautiful thing about this industry for us uh, is some of the very creative things that we have been able to do. Um, I, I, I have to say that probably my earliest for me was uh, the very first radio theater I produced was the late Norman Corwin's A Moat Farm Murder. And uh, we brought the cast in. They did their thing. There was a scene where one of the characters is digging in the dirt with a shovel. So I told him, I says, as you're doing this scene, I want you to make it sound like you're digging in the dirt. You know, and he did that. And then we went outside and they were doing construction around the station where I was working. And we, re- we took a, one of these Marantz cassette recorders and a microphone, recorded the sound, took it back in, laid it down. Uh, and it was... And you have had to have had this happen where somehow magically it just matched up. Stuff like that happens to me all the time. How about you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's things where you go on intuition or you go, you find just the thing you need at exactly the moment you need it for no apparent reason. Or you put it aside. Like I do brainstorming. And when I find words I like, I grab them and write them down. <clears throat> and, and names and and terminology and just I love you know uh, clever words and oh. I have no idea when they're going to come to life and yeah. then they end up being uh, you know a, a name in one of my stories and I, it's it's very exciting to watch it come together like that Gladwood Thibodeau the most positive man who ever lived oh. I love yeah, that. In Louisiana. We have a, a gentleman here who hosts a, co-hosts a program, and he's always using words like um, alluvial. Ah, yeah. Uh, and, and I, I said, no, you can't say that on the radio. I'm playing with him, of course. You know, I, said, I don't want you to use that anymore. It's going to get us in trouble. Uh, a couple of words I love are superfluous and supercilious. Ah, yeah. Nice. Uh, and and it's just uh, so I'm I'm kind of a wordsmith, although I'm not I'm not writing them down. I just kind of keep them up here. But your mental well, radio you're much smarter than me. It's very clear. <laughs> let's let's not go too far here. Uh, although I don't want to see. That's another thing too. Is in this business you have to have a bit of an ego. Okay. Now it can't be massive. Like you can't get out the control room door. But you still have to have one. Uh, and I'm sure that you would say this of yourself, even in all humility, you're good at what you do because I'm good at what I do. And that's as far as I'll take it. OK, yeah. because I, I love what I do. It just it's just something that I, I was fortunate to do. How about you? You you're still able to stay humble as you uh, uh, go through your day and the universe every once in a while. If you do get too big for your britches, tends to um, give you your comeuppance. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, things come and slap you upside the head now and then and take you down, make you go, well, what? Well, what? But, you know, it's um, less and less because as I become a more mature human being, (laughs) you clearly can see, you know, the residue left behind and the, um, the different experiences and in how failures led to learning. And how I got smarter because I failed and this and that and tried this and failed or it didn't work out. And then I just kept going. And it's that whole thing about keep going no matter what. Mm. 
We are going to continue talking with Shadow Stevens because there's a lot that I want to talk to him about in terms of the things that he's done in his, not just his, in, in his career, but in the background, uh, things that, that he has pursued. And we're going to do that as we continue talking with Shadow Stevens here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, and I thank you for staying with us here on the program. And uh, Shadow Stevens is my guest. It's really a pleasure to have you here. Um, I have to say that I was very fortunate because I know you know this gentleman. Uh, sadly, he has, he and his wife passed on. We won't go into the details. Uh, 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 William or Bill Haywood, uh, uh, who I listened to as a child. I got my first transistor radio. I'd stick it under my pillow, turn the volume down real low, and I'd be listening. And I'd listen to KOY 55 in Phoenix, Arizona as a kid growing up. And Bill Haywood and his whole entourage of people would just do some of the craziest between songs radio. Um, I, I also remember some of the bits that he would play. He didn't produce them necessarily. I think uh, Chicken Man uh, was one of them. I have some of those tapes. Love Chicken Man. Oh, I, and uh, Powdered Toast Man. Does that ring a bell? I heard that one. No, no. no, I don't know about Powdered Toast Man. Powdered Toast Man. Anyway. Um, but you are also interested in a lot of the more, shall we call it, metaphysical or esoteric constructs and concepts and philosophies that are out there. And you cover some of them in your uh, mental radio programs. Yeah, well, the whole idea of mental radio from the beginning was to create something that's funny, that's uplifting. And part of being uplifting is dealing with all of the all of the episodes are thematic and so it's doubt and gloom and time and space and magic and hope and faith and all of these things that that have to do with living and all of the stories kind of reflect these kinds of things where the characters are going through you know like um in the blues episode dixon ticonderoga wakes up and he realizes everybody's got the blues. So he goes to the fortune teller and the fortune teller looks at him and she says, if you got to face the blues, you got to look the devil in the eye. Mm. So he drives across Texas through swarms of mosquitoes and thunder clouds and rain and lightning and arrives in New Orleans in the dead of night and goes right to the cemetery. And he crawls over the wall and he sits below the crypt and he chants the sacred chant, Giacomo Finane, Giacomo Finane, Aiko Aiko Ande. And then, seven feet tall, he appears above them. He says, pleased to meet you. Dixon, is it? Can I call you Dick? <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's stories like that that deal with stuff. Mm -hmm. um, there's an episode called Magic. There's um, Joy. Um, and all of the and in the middle we uh, we break away from the stories and go to the outlook chamber at the top of the temple, and and talk about these things, and and in it is the seed of happiness. You can't think your way happy. You have to act your way happy. And what are the things that you do? And so we reflect on things like um, the the uh, Victor Frankel who was the um, mm -hmm. the um, philosopher and psychiatrist who was about to publish his life's work and was arrested by the Nazis and taken to a concentration camp, taken to Auschwitz. 
and he was so terrified that he would lose his life's work that they uh, that he sewed his book into his coat. And of course, they took all his clothes and burned them and gave him the rags of someone who'd been sent to the crematorium. And in it, he found one page torn from a Jewish prayer book, one of the most profound teachings in Judaism. And he realized as he looked around him that people, people around him were, the ones that were mostly dying were not the ones being sent to the gas chamber. It was people who lost meaning or purpose or dreams or something to work for or something to believe in. And he realized, I've got to try in the, in the slim possibility that we will ever be liberated. I'll probably die here, but maybe not. And so I will, and he started taking little pieces of paper and writing, scratching away notes that he would hide away. And he did this for four years through four different concentration camps. And in the end, they were liberated. And he wrote the book in nine days and was going to call it Choose Life in Spite of Everything. And um, he was talked into calling it Man's Search for Meaning. And it sold 12 million copies and was translated into 24 languages because it's filled with brilliant ideas. And among them are concepts like tragic optimism. Optimism in the face of all evidence to the contrary. Being optimistic is the only option because being pessimistic or listening to your mind and looking for what's wrong and making a list is not going to make things better. You can't worry your way better. And uh, all it does is make you weak and small and slow and afraid and not wanting to get out of bed or you need a drink or you need a drug or something else. Mm. He also called, he said a thing called uh, and these are the kinds of things we talk about in the middle of all this comedy of, of mental radio. Um, he said, man is not meant to find equilibrium. Man is at his best when he's struggling and striving toward a freely chosen goal. And it's up to each of us to have to choose that goal for ourselves. What is it that interests us? What is it that we need to learn? What is it that we need to try? And the act of trying awakens a kind of enthusiasm. And then you get inspiration because you've got enthusiasm. And then you start seeing the new thing you're working on come to life. And it gives you more purpose. And it gives you a sense of hope and living in possibilities instead of doubt, fear, mm. and despair. You know, I, as, you're, as you're sharing this, the images come into my mind of uh, uh, a couple of challenges for me. I'm in the middle of narrating a book that I was contracted to narrate. Uh, the first of six mystery novels, the uh, Brad Stevens, interestingly enough, probably no relation to you, but hey, Good who name. knows? Good name. Uh, a brother from another mother, I'm sure. <laughs> exactly. And then uh, I'm part of this uh, musical group that's going to be performing in December here in Santa Barbara, uh, and I'm having to learn uh, not only to speak to sing in a Scottish accent, but also to learn how to pronounce the words as they're written, not in the Gaelic, which is how they pronounce that, whereas Ireland, it's Gaelic, uh, not necessarily in the Gaelic uh, words or language, but just in terms of pronouncing the English words in a Scottish format, if you will. So those are the two main ones that came to my mind. And I'm thinking, mm -hmm. yeah, and when I get to the end of this, and, I'll, and the other thing too is I'll be on the other side of both of these in a, in a flash before I know it. And the book I'm reading is 62 chapters, right? I'm only mm -hmm. on chapter 18. Mm -hmm. I got a long way to go, but I'm loving doing it. 
I think that's yeah, one I, of the I other did things. a book on tape, um, Journey to the Center of the Earth. Ooh. And it was so hard because, like you said, I had to learn um, to say things as if I'd speak them all the time in German and Dutch and Icelandic. And I was like, you know, sounding them out and repeating them and getting them and then getting comfortable with it and then just rolling into it. And, and then it all came out well, but yeah, but it's really tricky. It is. And then I don't know if I made the mistake of doing this. I gave access to the uh, completed files to the author. And I go in to have uh, a meeting with him, and uh, we're chatting away, and he said, I absolutely love the accents. I love the voices, the characters you're doing. It's fantastic. But uh, I think that your, your narration between the character voices is a little too this or that or the other, you know? And so we're chatting away, and he says, I want you to listen to a couple of the guys that are paying at the top of the, uh, at the, top of the pile who are getting paid the most. And he played them for me. And one of the guys pauses between every sentence, you know. Uh, well, today we have Shadow Stevens. And we're going to talk today about mental radio. And I'm sitting here going, I couldn't listen to that book. I just couldn't listen to the book. I couldn't either. Then he pulls yeah. up an audio file that I recorded, that he had listened to, that he had made this. And I called them critiques, not criticisms. Because I'm there to learn, too. Sure. And he played it. He goes, you know what? That doesn't really sound that bad. I, I, that, I, actually, I think you're probably doing okay. Which I thought was a really interesting shift for him, but mm -hmm. it still gave me things to think about. Okay, and yeah. uh, and well, yet at the same time, now and then for uh, for emphasis. Sure, you want to pause. You don't want to run powerful. on sentence. But if you talk like this, I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> I will not be listening to you ever. So I have no attention span yeah. at all, and everything I've created in since maybe from the very beginning has been with no attention span in mind that, that, you know, hold my attention, keep it, shift it, change it. That's why metal radio has, it's all short stories and adventures and cliffhanger serials. You know, it's um, yeah. a little of this and then just get to a point where it makes the whole story and it moves to something else. Now, and did, did you, you uh, read the book, but also did you edit it or was it, did you have someone else doing the editing? No, somebody else. Did okay. It. I'm doing both. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I listen to it as I'm reading it, and then I listen to it as I edit it. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's quite a challenge, too, because, again, I don't want to change the cadence or what have you, but at the same time, I want to get it right. I want to, or sure. I shouldn't say get it right, but do the best I can with it, because this is really my very first, we'll call it professional. I used mm -hmm. to record books for my first wife who was totally blind. I recorded Celestine mm. Prophecy, Love is Letting Go of Fear, Jam Gerald Jampolsky. I think I may have even recorded a Ram Dass book. His are usually pretty darn thick and so forth. But I was listening to Audible before it was ever Audible, talking books for the blind and recordings for the blind. Mm -hmm. And that's where I listened to my metaphysical primer, Autobiography of a Yogi, that I found out Je uh, Je uh, <laughs> Steve Jobs that was the only book he had on his phone. Mm. I thought that was rather fascinating. Uh, speaking of it's that really book. powerful in my life, though, now that you mentioned it, to interrupt you for a second. Sure, no, go ahead. The other part of the Outlook Chamber is meditation. Oh, and yes. I um, have been meditating for 50 years, 
and uh, have learned deeper and deeper kinds. And and among them, uh, although I did Buddhism for a, about five years, and I uh, a lot of other transcendental meditation for three years, and then found deeper ways. And it was autobiography of yogi that drew me to self-realization fellowship. And they teach what's called Kriya Yoga, which is a oh yes, a really highly focused kind of discipline. It's not easy. You kind of have to work up to it until you uh, are taught, you know, how it works. But when you reach a state of breathlessness mm. and and no the no mind state, it's as good as life gets. It is, and you realize that the deeper you go, the deeper there is to merge into. And that's quite profound when you're having the experience of consciousness within that has nothing to do with a body that's born, lives, and dies. It's like absolutely uh, a real experience like you and I talking. Mm. And, um, and once you tap into that, you just want a little bit more. So, yeah. you know, that has evolved over the years. And what I try to do is teach people basic, simple meditations that you can do. We we'll call them incremental commitments. Little things that you can agree, oh, I'll try this, you know, just 10, 15 minutes a day. But if you do it every day and never miss, little by little, it'll open up. And then you'll get that taste of that transcendental experience. And it's remarkable. Shadow Stevens is my guest. And you are listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And, uh, Shadow, you're talking about meditation and you're talking about reaching those higher highs or deeper depths and so forth. And one of the thoughts that comes back to me is my my theory, I'll call it a theory, in terms of getting closer to God, the divine, whatever, whatever that higher consciousness, shall we say, is. And I've often looked at it this way. Uh, first of all, I acknowledge and, and, and look forward to the journey. I'm not interested in, in, in the destination per se. But I look at it this way, that <clears throat> there's a certain distance between me and the divine, you know, in a matter of speaking, and that I can get one half the distance closer every time I meditate or I pray, and one half the distance, and one half the distance, and one half the distance, one half the distance, and I will get closer and closer and closer, but I will never actually get there because it's always one half whatever the distance is. And the, the interesting thing is if it's 100 miles, well, then it's 50, then it's 25, then it's 12 and a half. So I'm getting really close really fast initially, but then it starts to come down to okay, is this journey worth it or do I really want to continue? Even though I know that I may never actually get there, this is kind of fun. You know, I mean, some of the experiences I'm having and so on and so forth. Is that kind of the way, I'm not saying the way you look at it, but in terms of that journey through the meditation, for example, uh, do you feel like when, when you reach those states that it's like, yeah, I really like this, but I'm going to go back into the body and I'm going to go on doing the things that I'm doing because I know that's my life's purpose. I know that's why I'm here. And man, I'm just having a blast doing it. And you feel like I'm really in sync with the universe when, when that happens. 
Well, I'm I'm attempting to be in sync moment by moment, breath by breath, hour by hour, waking and sleeping. That's what I'm reaching for, to be awakened to your highest ideal. Um, I don't want any responsibility. Left to my own, I make inelegant choices. I and, like that term. I like that word, inelegant. Yeah. And uh, so I'm I'm trying to to be not only in sync, but in a state, a calm state of creativity when I'm working and when I'm dealing with other people and dealing with pressures of the world or the the fears and the uh, the uh, the cacophony of doomsday all around us mm. being shouted at us 24 hours a day <clears throat> onto our phones and into our computers and out of our televisions and even in our our um, movies, you know, I, I did a, uh, a piece of art because I also do art and, and um, I have a great big piece called Doomsday. It's, it's nine feet tall and five feet high or, or nine feet long and, and five feet high. And it is basically uh, a showcase of awful and it's, Everything from hydrogen bombs to, um, you know, um, drug addiction and zombies crawling out of the frame at the bottom and, <laughs> and, you know, and Godzilla and, you know, all of the things from entertainment and real world, real and imagined, that's all shocking, scary, all unnerving. And then I have a companion piece called Hope. And Hope is the same size. It's nine feet long and five feet tall. And it's about the beauty that faith has created in the world. Mm. And it's in the temples and, and, and cathedrals and monasteries and, and Native American powwows and whirling dervishes and, and the great saints and masters and leaders who have had been high-minded that have led us out of you know, doom and gloom and fear for centuries. And it's quite beautiful and one of my favorite things I've ever created. And, uh, <clears throat> and at the bottom, it has all of these. And this comes with a 57-page booklet about what the more than 100 images that are, you know, there as this tribute to the harmony of, of religions, of, the, of true faith. Mm. And... Um, and you know, and I and I tried to find the upside of being an atheist, and I just haven't found any, you know, except yeah. smugness and and um, certainty. Mm -hmm. Certainty is what throws me. It's like not being curious about what people have to say that have spent their entire lives meditating, praying, and studying. You think you might they might know? I I interviewed a. Um, a monk from the Himalayas. He, he lived in a monastery in the Himalayas for 30 years. And, um, and he said, we'd get up at five o'clock in the morning and we'd meditate for an hour and then we'd have breakfast and then we would study and we would study a philosophy all day long, day in and day out, week in, week out, month after month, year after year. We'd take a philosophy and when we'd exhausted it, we'd move to another one and then another one and another one and another kind of um, uh, spirituality. And um, I said, so how do you prove 
that there is a God for people that are cynical. And he says, for thousands of years, people have tried to prove the existence of God and they failed. And for thousands of years, people have tried to disprove the existence of God and they too have failed. Why? Because God is not for intellectual speculation. God is purely experiential. And each of us has to have that experience for ourselves. And the only way to get it is to go within. And the only way to go within is to learn to meditate. Find one kind of meditation that appeals to you. There's lots of different kinds. Mm -hmm. Focused meditation is the highest and strongest and most powerful. But there's guided meditations. There's mindfulness. There are things that will make you calm. But we want to go beyond calm. Mm -hmm. We want to go into the experience. And when you experience pure awareness, there's nothing like it. You can't describe it in words. You can't go, well, it feels like this. No, you can't. Because you can't. You go, aha. Oh, 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 this is what they were talking about. Oh, yeah, I I need more of this. And I never know. You know, I'm, I sometimes if my body hurts too much or if I'm too tired, I I can only meditate for 20 minutes or 30 minutes. And sometimes, inexplicably, I will go into that breathless state and I will, an hour or two will go by. And uh, I don't know how to describe it. And I don't, I'm not telling you you should do it. I'm just telling you, you might want to try it because um, it's pretty remarkable. And I haven't found anything more important in life. Mm. Well, we have a... Um... I don't want to call it a campaign, but it's something we encourage people to participate in. It's called the Decade of Perfect Vision. It started out uh, as the year of perfect vision, 2020. Then we moved it up to the decade, the 2020s. And we would encourage people to go within, spend time listening to that still, small voice. Uh, also encouraging people, don't just listen to it, follow the promptings. It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to put you in harm's way. Might challenge you a little. Okay, that's okay. It's challenged mm. me and my personal ego-centered uh, thoughts, ideas, and beliefs. But also spending time just in that quiet, peaceful, calm space to just relax and rejuvenate and get some, maybe some inspiration, some encouragement, some enlightenment, maybe some education. Uh, because it was years ago when I used to think about looking for this one spot on the planet, if I could find that one spot that nobody else could find. And then it dawned on me that, well, if I can find it, then so could everybody else. And then it dawned on me, oh, wait a minute, there is a place that nobody, shadow can't go there, my mother can't go there, nobody can go there but me, and that's within and it seems as though we have, I don't know if we've forgotten it, if we've been trained, programmed, educated to stay away from it. Uh, I don't know what the reasons are why, but we're encouraging people, go back. It's okay. It's actually, oh, call it your happy place if you want. I mean, you hear that all the time. Okay, okay, I know you're, I know you're cranked up, uh, Shadow, but to, go to your happy place, Shadow. Go to your happy place. You know, you hear that uh, in, in comedy shows all the time. And that's what we've been promoting on this program for, for years. Uh, and right. I'm hoping that people have taken, and one of my guests even said, and it doesn't matter if it's only for 60 seconds. Start there with 60 seconds. And then yeah, you can also do, um, you know, like uh, part of mindfulness is being present in the moment. 
and not projecting to the future, reflecting the past or regretting or projecting. And, and I find that just saying, thank you, mm. you know, I'm, yeah, there's so many things we take for granted. The world is insane and people are suffering. And if we're not suffering, we need to be saying, thank you. Thank you. I just do it when I'm walking to the car. Thank you. Thank you. I'm walking along. I'm like, oh, thank you. Thank you. I wake up going, thank you. Thank you. I can still see. Thank you. I'm not sick. Thank you. I'm not, you know, in crippling pain. Thank you. I can get up and do something again. And it puts, it changes the landscape of your outlook of how you are going to greet your day. Otherwise you might go, Oh, here we go again. <laughs> the body hurts, and I know it's like, wow, jeez. And ow, ow, ow. Or I can go, thank you. I can still get up. Yeah. Still do stuff. I yeah. can still see. I can still read. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and, and to that last one, I can still read. Um, uh, born legally blind, I had 2,200 in my left, 2,400 in my right. Uh, I have since lost all vision in my left eye, which had 2,400, but I didn't count on it. I lost it due to glaucoma. And mm. now I'm sitting here going, a lens implant in my right eye. I can see 2080, 2050 with the lenses. Mm. And I'm reading. I'm, I've been asked to narrate a book. Are you mm. kidding me? Horrified at reading in front of the class in school as a kid. And here I am, 62 years old, and I've been asked to narrate somebody's book. This is, it's like, wow. And, and I say the wow, and then thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, uh, what an opportunity, because it's two things. One is I get to do stuff that I really enjoy doing in terms of producing, but I also get to read somebody's book, which I don't get a chance to read people's books very often. I mean, yeah. I, I do so many interviews, like maybe like you. Uh, now, unless you took the Evelyn Wood speed reading course, uh, you know, it takes a while to read some of these books. Uh, matter of fact, it, uh, I bought a copy reader. of... I, um, I like I, to relish the words, and sometimes I'll underline them, and I like yeah. to try and grasp ideas. How about, how about the word grok, to grok the ideas yeah. from Stranger grok, in a Strange Land? Grok on, bro. Yeah, I bought the book, okay, the, the hard it, copy, right? And I tried to read it initially. And it wasn't until Audible came along and then I found it on Audible and I'm listening to it and I'm listening to sections over and over again. And I get to the end of the book and first of all, I'm going, wow, what an adventure. That was fun. The, the narrator did a great job with the voices and everything. The only thing I didn't like was the ending. But then again, I looked at it recently and I'm going, no, they, they had to end it that way. There was no other way he could have ended it. But it was so much fun to go into those worlds Sure. And that's what this program for me is all about, is going into your world. Shadow Stevens is my guest, and you're listening to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Shadow, I want to ask you in regards to some of these uh, more spiritual and metaphysical constructs that we've, been, we've started to talk about. Um, you said that, uh, you know, you can't really grasp the concept of atheism, but for me... Uh, I'll I'll uh, I'll take the uh, the Larry King perspective and uh, uh, I'll take the agnostic perspective and say I don't know. To me, that is the most honest place to come from is agnosticism. Sure, as long as I don't know um, uh, leads to complacency and certainty and oh, I'm fine with I don't know. I find that 
kind of shallow and and weak-minded. I want to know. I want to know what you think. I studied Kabbalah, uh, Judaism, mysticism for two years. And as I said, uh, Buddhism for five years, and I totally love them both. Um, Christianity for a long time. Hinduism, I you know really can't quite get enough of. And I like the way people describe the way that they reach the infinite what, the almighty mover. Pick a name that makes you more comfortable mm -hmm. than saying God, because when you were eight years old, they gave you the Santa Claus God and the vengeful God and and have these kind of mythologies that are silly and, and for children. But a lot of people carry that with them. And so many of the atheists I've met are quite condescending. All you poor, sad people believing in your imaginary <laughs> friend. You know, it's the willing suspension of critical thinking. <laughs> what, were you, what were you raised as? Uh, Christian science and, and Presbyterian. My, and, my and, and, and they didn't me. meet in the middle and a big flame went up or something? <laughs> yeah, well, clearly the flame is in my head. Um, yeah, because it was a good, it was a good foundation in, um, yeah. in Christian beliefs and Christian science is uh, pretty remarkable. The, the power of belief, uh, is pretty extraordinary. Uh, I've been introduced to probably a, a most of the ones you've mentioned, spiritualism, Unitarianism, unity, um, Certainly, of course, uh, the, the philosophies surrounding self-realization. Matter of fact, I keep getting drawn back to it because um, not only did I read the book, and of course we used to go to the local um, shrine there in Phoenix, but um, <clears throat> when I moved here to Santa Barbara, I was introduced to another branch uh, of it called the Self-Inquiry Life Fellowship. We have a, a monastery here in Montecito uh, where the, and this took me 15 minutes to practice before I interviewed the, mo the, the monk, his name was Swami Vidya Dishananda. Ooh. Nice. Yeah, tell me about it. And I wanted to get it right, you know. And I would used to interview him, and we'd air the interviews on Easter Sunday on this station, you know. Uh, but it was so fascinating to talk to this gentleman. And then I met another gentleman who was another branch of uh, the, the philosophies of Sri Yukteswar and Paramahansa, um, uh, uh, a Sri um, Kriyananda who recently mm. passed away. He was, at that time, a, a living, he was the last living teaching disciple of Paramahansa, and he passed away a few years ago. And I had an, I was able to interview him a couple of times as well. Nice. They have a facility. You know, another thing in, uh, in, in Santa Barbara mm -hmm. uh, that I love, Vedanta. Yes, the Vedanta I've Center, yes. Vedanta for, since the 70s, and uh, totally, it was the first the first kind of spirituality that I totally love because they didn't proselytize. Yeah. And make me do anything or give anything or anything. He said, we're here if you'd like to know. Yeah. Okay. But you got to want to know. Yeah. I was also a Baha'i for a year and a half. Oh, nice. But I could not make that final step. And so I said, you know, I, I joined under false, as I perceive it, I joined under false pretenses. Uh, not to raid the uh, the coffers, mind you, but I joined because I needed a group that would accept me at that time in my life where I was. And I, saw, I thought, that's no reason to to join a particular philosophy. You know, you have to accept the tenants and then the founder and so forth. Uh, and um, one of the things that I loved, one of the, the, the quotes from Baha'u'llah was, if you accept one of the messengers of God, you accept them all. If you reject one of the messengers of God, you reject them all. 
And I've kind of lived by that philosophy where whether I agree or disagree with that respective, say, uh, sect of Christianity or Buddhism or Hinduism or the Muslim faith, which I've also been trying to learn more about. Uh, but, you know, in this day and age, it's like you start searching on the Internet and you get on a list, you know. Um, I'm curious, were you curious from from an early age? Was was your fascination with the, the diverse and different philosophies part of your early upbringing, or did that come along later? Um, just a core belief um, was with me from the very beginning. My real awakening came maybe uh, around the time of um, starting to experiment with drugs, and then the Beatles did Transcendental Meditation. I went, that sounds good to me. And I, and I got initiated and went, I like this. This is good. And it's, and it's a terrific program. Mm. And um, the only thing that happened was after about three years, I wanted something more personal. And I wanted something with what I felt was more uh, depth and um, specificity. Instead of just repeating to get quiet, I wanted to dive deeper and no more. And so I found myself at Vedanta. And then Vedanta led to Vivekananda, uh, was a, a disciple of Ramakrishna. And he was the first uh, man to bring Hinduism to, uh, to America, to the West, back in the 1890s for the Chicago World's Fair. And he, you know, with his turban, and he was an amazing looking human being. But he was so articulate in his books that that in his teaching, his writing is is quite profound, and it was a huge awakening for me, and and made me want to know more and read more. Working for the Christian Station, I was always disappointed by the attitude that was taken of other philosophies. Again, this is what I call them. I don't refer to them as religions. My perspective is, from the biblical standpoint, true religion is taking care of the orphans and the widows and the sick and the homeless. That is true religion. Uh, that's my definition. Okay. But people get lost in, in dogma. Yeah. And that's, that's the problem. And yeah. all of them are the radical fundamentalists, whether they're Christian or Islam or, or, or any of them, mm -hmm. you know, the, the lunatic fringe. And they need to convert you in order to make them feel themselves feel like they've found the answer. And it's just uh, madness. Well, and what we need to do is be open to what do you believe? What makes you feel good? What gives you a, a sense of, of rightness, of, of yeah. positivity, of optimism, yeah. of hope, of a divine design to the universe that transcends the universe and goes beyond what we can see and hear and think but something with you know how, what is it what's it like and how has it been described in, in autobiography of a yogi there's a whole chapter mm -hmm. where his master comes back to him and describes the astral plane and the causal plane and the and what it's like and what it looks like it's as psychedelic as anything i ever read in my life it's remarkable yeah. One of the things that I, the paradoxes that I always had to deal with at the Christian station was <clears throat> the, the terminology used uh, to describe our relationship with the divine, with God, that it's, it's a personal relationship with God. And then uh, they would turn around and say, and I don't think you're ready to meet God. And I'm going, well, excuse me, didn't you just say this was a personal relationship between me and my God? Uh, I don't believe this was supposed to be a threesome. 
You know, this is just a uh, this is just a dyad between me and God. Get out, and that's one of the things I love about going within is nobody can nobody else but me can get in. Uh, but I always found that uh, an interesting dichotomy, if you will. Um, yeah, you know. we did a thing uh, in the in the latest um, chapter of Mental Radios about faith, and in the opening opening story, um, it in the beginning there was the scream looking for a mouth. And it and it finds its way through the universe into the birth of a child named Calamity Pickett. And <laughs> Calamity is fine until she gets to Sunday school, and she talks and she hears a Cora Pample, Pamplemousse talk, uh, uh, play the video, and the video says, "In the beginning, there was cheese, and the cheese it was good, growing." wild along the creeks and valleys ripened by the sun and plentiful to the many it came easy eat it and know there was a taste for every culture nutty to tangy the sharp and the sweet the hard and the buttery faith was everywhere and it was free but beware the forbidden curd the dark cheese the rank bouquet the stench of the no-no the limburger of knowledge beckoned and once past the stink, the taste was spicy and aromatic. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you, you uh, have a lot of different things memorized from these programs. Uh, uh, I'm curious, you've, you've had, uh, what, an acting career as well? Any, any theater, that kind of thing? Oh, yeah. In my, in my fourth year of college, I, I left the art department and went into um, – theater, drama, and journalism, so I could write and learn to uh, perform. And so I was in plays, and and then as life went on with radio, I got real busy and successful, you know, early on, and ended up in Boston. Then I came to Los Angeles, and I was made program director of a major U.S. radio station, one of the biggest stations in the country, and I was 24, and it became wildly successful. And and then I went to K Rock and started K Rock, and then went to KMET and made that number one, and then quit. And um, as I started my production company to do uh, commercials, I was given the chance to do television and came up with Fred Rated for Federated, mm. and that turns into eleven hundred commercials that we wrote and produced, and they're all funny and. You can see them online if you look for on YouTube. It's under bludgeon advertising. <laughs> I remember those pretty, commercials too, by the way. They were pretty funny commercials, and it was and that was successful for a period. But that got me playing a lot of different characters because I was controlling it. And then after that, I got a three-picture movie deal with Dino De Laurentiis, and then I started doing American Top Forty, and then I started doing television and and acting. And found myself, um, you know, on Dave's World for four years, uh, sitcom. It was quite popular, and um, yeah, a lot of a lot of different things. How did this impact your inner life? Uh, because, boy, the outer trappings sure sound great, man. That would be such a blast. But then again, we also see the under the other side of it for some of these folks that. I mean, I, I, I've been watching, for example, I've been watching some of the YouTube videos, uh, documentaries on Johnny Carson, on Robin Williams and, and a few other people. Um, and and I think, 
wow, they had it all. And yet Robin, of course, took his own life. And of course, Johnny dies of emphysema because of all of his smoking uh, and wanted a private life. And he's been married four times and all of these things. And yet when he was out there on stage or when Robin was out there on stage or in front of an audience, man, he was on and he was brilliant. They both were. But that wasn't all of their they, you couldn't be on stage 24 seven. Yeah, and, yeah, and, that's true. And, and that's, you know, and that goes all back to the same because, you know, I went through a period of time <clears throat> and I became a drug addict and alcoholic and it all got away from me and I couldn't stop. And I prayed every day, God help me. I don't know how to stop. I don't know how to stop. Help. And this went on for years. I used into convulsions and I was paranoid and carried guns because I thought people were trying to kill me. And um, ultimately I was intervened on by my family and went into uh, recovery. And that was 38 years ago. And um, everything changed. And that's like when you get to the point where you go, oh, 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 you don't do anything. Oh, that seems a lot easier than just drinking or just doing something now and then. And uh, and then the whole community of, um, of the 12-step programs is so life-affirming and so rewarding and so full of people who are trying to get smarter and be smarter and be better and happier and and think about how they can help others and they do it for free. It's it's a remarkable program. Mm. And the combination of um, of that and my work and creativity, which is my whole life, and the uh, and meditation, um, I'm not subject to those wild fluctuations anymore. Here's here's a. Uh... I'll say a deep question. I and I actually did ask this of my late sister. She passed away in March of this year, and uh, she was our she was the eldest in the family. And I had her on the phone in January, and we were chatting away. And of course, I got to see her at Christmas because the family says you need to come out for Christmas because this could be our last Christmas, all eight of us. And I said okay. And of course, I get there, and she's just doing great. I'm going, oh no, this isn't going to be the last one. So I'm talking with her in January on the phone and we're chatting away and I say, so how you doing? And, you know, how are things going? And boy, I tell you what, Christmas was great. And that was so much fun seeing you and the whole fam, blah, blah, blah. And then we got serious. <clears throat> and um, she she was born and raised Catholic as I was. I consider myself now a metaphysician. She converted to the Church of Christ, which was I learned through the Christian radio station. That was a very rigid, very in the box kind of thing. But what I noticed as I learned more about her after her passing was that she was actually much more expansive than that, which was was something that always gave me hope when I met other believers who did mm-hmm. other things other than what was in the box or the book. Yeah. I said, are you ready? Are you ready? And she answered with that typical, well, <clears throat> yes and no. Uh, really, Jeanette? Seriously? <laughs> okay, what do you mean yes and no? She says, well, no. Because I, I don't want to leave my husband, Perry, and my daughter, Hannah, you know, because he's going to have to take care of everything and so forth. But, yes, I am ready. I'm not afraid. Uh, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to be with God. And, again, this is all coming from where she is coming from philosophically. Sure. And then I learned after, the, after her passing 
something that I thought was really remarkable of any human being, let alone my sister. She'd had health problems her entire life. She lived to be just about 65. Uh, they told me that none of my sister, my three sisters or brother or my parents, they told me that they did not know of a time during her entire life of all these health issues where she was ever bitter. And I thought, wow, that's... Now, case in point, she had asthma as a child, right? What instrument do you think she took up in, in grade school and high school to play in the marching band? What instrument do you think she played? The French horn. With asthma, who does that? <laughs> and that's what she did. She actually became second chair, maybe it was even first chair, in the Scottsdale Symphony Orchestra in wow. the early 2000s. Remarkable what she accomplished. Very cool. And these are the kinds of examples that we see around us, that we have around us. What individuals that you have uh, some level of connection, whether it's personal or, or even just, I don't know, even through the TV or, you know, what have you, that you, you uh, I mean, before you met Stan Freeberg, you just knew of him and the work that he did and you admired it and you loved it and so forth. But who, who in your life has, has touched you in that way? Who has moved you to say, wow, you know, I, I, I need to take a lesson from that person, you know? In spite of everything, they, it's like, what, what were you saying earlier about, uh, uh, in spite of everything, you just stay optimistic? Yeah, tragic optimism. Yeah, tragic optimism. Yeah, it's a great phrase. Yeah. And, and it is the only way. So yeah. that all has to be nurtured. So, you know, most of my, you know, I have friends, uh, like I have a, a really close friend who is, has one of the best minds I've ever known. My whole life, my whole adult life, he's written 24 novels and he reads 90 books a year and remembers them. Oh, it's like wow. way, way beyond me. Wow. And I just found out that his, he's losing his memory and it's horrifying to me to watch because mm. every made, every book that I've written, uh, that I've, that I've read, um, that I've really loved in the last four decades has come from him. And how do you process that, you know, because there's like, wow, what's going on here? I, you just don't know. All you can do is work on yourself and keep your mind busy on what's right and be grateful because gratitude releases dopamine in your brain. And so the act of being uh, pronoid, do you know about pronoia? No. Uh -uh. The, the uh, this is was. Um, uh, created by the yuppies back in the 70s. And Pronoia proclaims that the entire universe is, is how do they put that, um, conspiring to shower you with blessings with every breath. It, it, they, they say that they take a, um, an aggressive, they, they preach an, an aggressive form of gratitude that systematically searches out what's right. Mm. And that is really positive, like aggressive gratitude. 
what a great concept that is. A gorilla gratitude. How about that? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> I got some great. Uh, I got some great quotes from Mental Radio that I should tell you about that have come since we last talked. Um, that uh, talk about words. Um, Craig Ferguson said, "I listened a lot." It's Flash Gordon, L. Ron Hubbard, Captain Marvel, Buckaroo Banzai, and everything else. Is it a show, a channel, an area, a movement? Whatever it is, I need I need more of that and less of everything else. It's hilarious and brilliant. Mm -hmm. And then John Henson, who's this, he's a, a, a television host and, and a comedian. He's great. And he said, it's a roller coaster wrapped in a belly laugh buried in a tuft of Willy Wonka spiritual cotton candy. There's nothing like it. It's an audio-visual acid trip of spiritual crack. I'm proud of this, and I didn't have anything to do with it. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, I, that's the one thing I love about YouTube. Is all I've been watching a lot of the Craig Ferguson programs uh, with Robin Williams or with some of the other people that I know, uh, Stephen Wright, his humor is just hilarious. But oh, I love to Steven. watch how much fun Craig was having on that program. I mean, you know, I mean, it was like night and day between he and Johnny Carson, you know, now Johnny had his fun too, but I mean, Craig was like off the wall most of the time and having such a fantastic time. And it seems to me like, Many people in this world today need to take a lesson from people like and of Craig Ferguson and say, look, this may be a job, but it doesn't have to be. It can be a blast. It can be fun. It depends. It's kind of something else you mentioned, too, about what you focus on, what you're looking for. If you're looking for the devil under every rock, you'll find him. If you're yeah. looking for God or optimism or whatever it is, you'll find it. Well, that's like uh, why conspiracy theories always work, because you can, and I've done this, I've started them on my own. In fact, mental radio is partially a conspiracy theory, that <laughs> we choose what, we, what we're what we going, it's partially true and partially made up. Yeah, You cannot tell the difference, and if you add enough clues, like Paul is dead. Remember when Paul was dead? Yep, yep. Everybody found the clues in album covers and pictures and sound and everything, and clearly it proved it. Yeah. And it's that way with all of this stuff. And now all of a sudden, then people are believing in, you know, uh, liberals eating children at a pizza place. It's like, what? What? <laughs> it's like, you God. know, wow. Well, I, I think one of my, uh, I, I, well, I see, I had it. And, uh, okay, it's gone, so we won't go there. Uh, that's one of the beautiful things about this program, uh, uh, Shadow. The universe asks the questions, I'm just along for the ride. Now, I've had the opposite happen, where I'm talking along with the guest, da 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 and in the back of my mind, there's this question. Ask this question. No, it has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Ask this question. So I stopped the interview, not actually recording. I said, um, I, I got to stop here because there's this question that will not go away until I ask it. And so I asked the question and the, the, the guest answered the question. And then we went off on that direction. And, and it was I mean, it was great. It was fun. It was you know, it worked out just fine. That's one of the things that I find interesting about listening to the still small voice. You know, I call my still small voice. Nothing cute here. My friend. And my friend has uh, has taken me three miles out of my way 
when I was bicycling to work one day. It has uh, instructed me to carry out a financial transaction that was contrary to my personal ego-centered plan for solving some of my economic issues. Had I not done it, things would have been a lot worse. Uh, and at the same time, when I'm driving, it has guided me on a fork in the road to the left as opposed to the right one day, and then to the right as opposed to the left another day. And the more I do that and listen and follow the promptings, the less I have to question it and the more it's just, it's almost like second nature. Mm -hmm. Do you find that your life, as you have meditated and you have listened and so forth, that you, I, and I use this analogy of, and now I'll tell you, I cannot float on my back. My sister Jeanette, she could float on her back until doomsday. I can float on my front, so I can play drowning very easily, okay? But on my mm. back, forget it. But let's just say I'm floating on my back and I'm going down a river. I'm just letting the current carry me. Do you feel sometimes like in your life, the current is just carrying you where you need to be? Uh, frequently. And then uh, other times I feel like... Uh, the creek died up, dried up, and <laughs> I'm crawling over the banks. Yeah, it's it's. Yeah, uh, go ahead, go ahead. It's it's like it's like everything in life. It's a roller coaster, and yeah. sometimes there is things just open up, uh, and sometimes you're trying to beat down walls, and nothing happens. Mm. And there's the only choice is what else can I do. What else can I learn? What else can I do? What else can I do? And get busy. My, if I wake up depressed and struggling, I will myself into my work and I wrench every word out of a doubting soul. And mm. I just apply myself for a period of time. And sometimes a, an entire transition happens because, and this is like one of the things that, you know, I I work with a company called Resolutions in Santa Monica with people with um, mental issues and suicidal ideation and drug and alcohol abuse and prescription abuse and every other kind of abuse and thinking, thinkaholics as well that are just in desperate despair. Mm. And one of the things that is really powerful is writing because writing gives you clarity and you sit and you write down everything that you're thinking instead of being at the mercy of the whirlwind, the hurricane of thoughts going around your head, grabbing, projecting, uh, grabbing this failure, telling this sad story, or going back to this phobia, to this you know, trauma that happened at some point. And if I write all of this stuff out, I get clarity for it. it it's harder to lie to yourself when you're writing than it is to when you're thinking. Shadow Stevens is my guest here on the program. Uh, and um, you talked earlier about how you uh, are also an artist. You have a website, shadowart.com, as well as mentalradio.net. Tell us about the type of art, the kind of art that you produce. You mentioned, of course, these two nine-foot by five-foot um, uh, opposites, if you will, or dichotomies of one another, if you will, uh, which I, I hope to, to, to take a look at. I'm sure they're probably posted up on your Shadow Art uh, website. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of uh, stuff. I'm, I'm doing some new things because I'm going to be doing a show at a big gallery in Sedona 
in the spring. Ah. And uh, it's a big 20,000 square foot gorgeous gallery. It's amazing. And um, But there's a lot of my stuff. Hope and Doomsday are both on the homepage of shadowart.com. Um, and uh, one critic, it's, it's multimedia art. I do, some of it is painting and some of it is design and some of it is multimedia and some of it is, is mixed media. Uh, it was called Illumination of Spirit because every... Everything I do has a story behind it. It's all kind of um, uh, statement-driven art. And I try to uh, give most of it a kind of sense of humor in, in uh, the way it looks and in the wordplay that describes it. And, um, and I describe it as humor so subtle that it may not be considered humor at all. It, uh, if a smile or a laugh emerges later for no reason, it may be a case of time-released mirth, which is what I call my work. My my artistic approach is transcendental wahoo. <laughs> About as clear as I can make it. <laughs> I like that. Uh, you have also, in addition to just, you know, all kinds of other stuff uh, that you've done over the years, you also have a, a children's book? Yeah, it uh, is. It's gotten all five star reviews, and it, it's never gotten really popular. But it's it has finally found because um, I could never find a distributor. But Whoopi Goldberg is quoted in it, and um, and Henry um, Winkler and Nick Clark, when he was still alive, wrote a quote. Um, uh, I've really re received well, and it's written like Dr. Seuss. I, I like writing in verse, and I like I like words that flow out of the mouth like butter or pudding. And <laughs> I put great thought into how the vowels and the consonants flow out of the mouth so that it feels good when you say them. So it's a story about a kid with, with size 42 hands, and the kids laugh at him, and then they make fun of him, and they... And they taunt him, and they, you know it's about bullying mm -hmm. and uh, believing in yourself. And the big galoot says, um, "I'm a galoot, but I have good luck. You can't get me down. I never give up." Mm. And so, in the story, they go off for a field trip into the mountains, and a storm breaks out, and the wolves howl, and the thunder cracks. And guess who steps up to try to save the day? And my favorite line from maybe that I've ever written on any of my things. It goes like this, but that big galoot poked pigeon-toed feet deep into the mud and would not be beat by forces too fierce for man, woman, or beast. As the going got tougher, his courage increased. Yeah. Mm, I like that. That's fabulous. <laughs> I've got a guy back east that, that contacted me, and, and we had done an interview together, and he is in education and he's really gotten behind it. He's, he's put together a whole lesson plan to go into grade schools and um, and is pushing it real hard right now, um, out of the blue. It's like without any effort on my behalf. My sister was, is in Africa and has given it to some children in African tribes that she's come to. So we've got these wonderful pictures of wow. these kids and, and also took it to India and this remote village and gave the book because it's very colorful 
the uh and it's on and and you can see all of the stuff that i do on shadow.com um it's a massive website of all of the things that i've done uh television and radio and art and children's books and projects and mental radio and everything mm. and um it's pretty interesting i think we're talking with shadow stevens here on tell me your story i'm richard dugan your host and uh, this has been a, a fantastic uh, hour plus, and uh, it goes by so fast, as you know, uh, when you when you dive into it. Uh, before we go, I want to ask you a little bit about um, your your travels. You've traveled the globe. Yeah, well, when I was doing American Top Forty, it was on all over the world to a billion people a week, and it was in 110 countries. So part of my job was to be flown you know, to Oslo, Norway, and to uh, Tokyo, and to Bali, and Hong Kong, and I mean, all over the place. And every everywhere we went, we'd be greeted at the airport by the radio station, who would take us out to the best restaurants, take us to the station and interview people. We'd do like live things. We did one in South Africa that was, we were on a whole network in South Africa. So they flew us all over the country to just meet people and talk and sign autographs and, and interview and, um, set up a whole, um, uh, you know, uh, going out into the jungle uh, on a safari and I got uh, salmonella poisoning and almost died. Oh, it's colorful, really colorful stuff. Yeah. He <laughs> took me out of the, out of the, uh, jungle on a private plane to Johannesburg and went to the doctor and he said, go to emergency immediately. And we get to emergency and there, they, 18 times they tried to put needles in my arms and I was screaming each time. And she, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, but we can't get a needle in, you're so dehydrated. And she, they told my wife that I was like 30 minutes away from death. And then I ended up in the hospital for five days. Um, good times. <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm not sure and, what the lesson is here, uh, but don't eat calman, uh, calamari uh, even in a five-star restaurant. There you uh, go. Taste gamey. Get it out of your mouth. <laughs> That's it. That's it right there. You're, okay, uh, those are so some wor sage words, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so keep that in mind. And through it all, through everything that you have been through, and this is just my personal experience of you both here and on another program that that I also produce you manage to maintain your humility your sense of who you really are you you don't you you're not made up and you're not puffed up and you're not uh, more self-important than than anybody else on the planet. And uh, that's not to say that any of my guests have ever come across that way. They don't. But a lot of people who are in our industry, they do, you know. And yeah, they, they think, get very important. I worked yeah. with a lot of people like that. It's very funny in radio, too, because radio is invisible. And I, had, I met more people who got so important they wouldn't re return phone calls. <laughs> don't you understand? I'm number one, three to seven on Y92. <laughs> yeah it's hilarious yeah uh I, that's why i said at the beginning of the program that uh, for me uh you know if i ever do the have that happen and early on it sort of kind of did and the universe would uh have an experience that would give me my comeuppance and put me put me back in my place and say hey look 
there, there will always be, always be someone better than you and someone not so great as you, okay? There will always be that, and that's just the way that it is. Uh, and so that, that's always helped me to, to maintain my, my, uh, uh, my equilibrium in that regard. One final question regards radio. Do you have, my friend, do you still have your third-class license? No. No! Maybe in some storage bin with old papers, maybe, but it's not likely. I do have the picture from the Jamestown Sun of me when I was on the world's youngest disc jockey. Oh, wow. I had that framed on the wall here. And I have a letter that I wrote my uncle who gave me the the um, wireless transformer kit that I had to solder together in order to make it work. Oh. And, and it's like little 10-year-old me writing, oh, I can't tell you how much I love this. And it's really, really, really cute. I got to tell you that uh, when you talk about these kinds of things, it reminds me of of what I refer to as real radio. When you have to fly by the seat of your pants, the equipment isn't working right, or for that matter, the entire station has gone dark. What do you do? Uh, well, we have a transmitter site. We, d we have... And, and so it, that's where I, I developed the philosophy, and it's only one sentence. Work with what you have until you get what you want. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. You might like, uh, I just put it up a couple of weeks ago, The Birth of K-Rock on, on YouTube, and it's an hour and 20 minutes long, and it's made from actual recordings of what happened back when when it started and it's and it's not a real elaborate like uh documentary right but it does tell the story in in direct you know moment by moment of who is responsible for building the station and then hiring me to create the format and then the birth of it you hear it as it went on the air and then it went off the air for two years and then i came back in 1977 and somebody found a phenomenal tape which and i had thought that that period of time was really forgettable like it was okay you yeah know? it it was so much better than i remembered it it's like it's like radio that has there's never been a radio that sounded like that before or since yeah and it um i think you'll like it and what i did all i did was put visuals to it to make it you know fun to watch right. but uh, i think you'll like it it's very uplifting and it's full of really like Rolling Stones, obviously, and and and, and um, like ELO, but also um, the uh, rock and roll weirdos. Um, I'm uh, punk rock. Um, all it's all over the place, and comedy records, and it's it's really something. It's yeah. really fun to watch. Oh, my archives! Uh, I've got reel to reels. A couple thousand people have watched it so yeah. far. Well, I've got archives. I've got reel-to-reels going back to the early 80s. I've got uh, my very first feature was called In-Depth Today. And we would rip and read off of the UPI and AP wire, the, print, the copy. I got so proficient. We had to change our own ink ribbon. And, of course, the first few times you do it, you got ink all over your fingers. I got so good at it, I could put it, put the new ribbon, take the old ribbon out, put the new ribbon in without getting any ink on my fingers. And no, Ooh. I was not wearing gloves. 
Uh, the vinyl I have, I have this big box of comedy records. I've got my own comedy records, uh, uh, you know, with, with Sam Kennison and um, uh, uh, Father Guido Sarducci and so forth. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted to mention two final things. Number one, there are three shows I'll bet you really enjoyed watching on TV. Number one, and this is not in any particular order, was the television series FM. Then there was Frasier, because he was on radio. Sure. But the, the big one that most everybody that I talk with remembers in radio, and then you sit around, you look around in your station going, okay, who, who's that role? You know, who played that one and who played that one? WKRP in Cincinnati. Yeah, of course. Oh, my course. gosh. That was, was so funny. much By the fun. way, FM was written by a guy that worked for me. Oh, at wow. KBT. And uh, it's patterned after all of us, including the program director. Yeah. Was me. The guy actually kind of looked <laughs> like me. And I'd, it wasn't a very successful movie or a great movie. It had some really good ideas in yeah. it. And, um, and a great soundtrack. Oh, it's yeah. Steely Dan uh, song really, really played great. Then the so, second thing is, before we wrap up here, I was a kid growing up in Arizona. We would drive from Phoenix to Florence, Arizona, which is about 60 miles. And um, on our way home, because we'd usually leave after the sun went down, uh, my father would turn on the CBS affiliate, Cool AM. And believe it or not, we could get Cool Radio out that far. Mm. And we would listen to, back then... The CBS Radio Mystery Theater with E.G. Marshall. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I found something to the equivalent. I was t tooling through YouTube just the other day, and I came across something that sounds so similar. Uh, it would have worked back then, and that is the radio treatment of the Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. my gosh. Uh, and it brought me back memories of E.G. Marshall in the CBS Radio Mystery Theater. Mm -hmm. And, uh, oh, my heavens, it was so much fun. Uh, I used to play with a reel-to-reel and turntable and this kind of thing. Because my, my dad was also an appliance repair person. And uh, I, I say now politically correct. <laughs> uh, and that's kind of where I kind of got my start. It was on my bed in my brother's in my bedroom and I'd play with this stuff and, but I never thought about it. Uh, and yet my high school, you ever write one of those papers in school? What, what I want to be when I grow up? Mine sure. was about being in radio in eighth grade, right? I wrote about it, completely forgot about it in high school. Didn't even right. think one thing about it until I got to college and I found out about a job at a radio reading service. So anyway, um, this has been a great hour. I have three final questions that I ask all of my guests. Okay? These, this is part of the program. Final, final, final yeah, questions. No, these, these are definitely the final ones. And okay. what's funny is I used to do is, and now we move to the game show portion of our program. Tell them what he might win, Johnny. Uh, and I really do appreciate your time. And I hope that we can have you back again to talk more about some of the subjects that you talk about on mental radio. And again, my, my kudos to you for that interview you did with, uh, with uh, the Freebergs. That was such a great interview. Yeah, thank you. The first of the three, the first of the three interviews, first of the three questions is number one: Who is Shadow Stevens? 
<laughs> a victim of his own enthusiasm. <laughs> what is your life's purpose? To have uh, conscious contact with the divine, with a higher power, with God, and be able to uh, be of service to others as mm. much as possible. And this is a new question I've added for the 15th year. What was your best day? Today's as good as it gets. I've had so many great days. I, how can you put I'm just putting together a thing. It's my wife's birthday uh, um, in a week. And I was just going through that, just what that era has been like, you know, 36 years. I am, you know, I have Beyonce beautiful daughters. Seriously, look them up. My, <laughs> my older daughter, Amber Stevens West, sings like an angel. She just performed the other night on a cancer uh, um, uh, fundraiser. Wow. Um, and killed it. She was so good. It was Broadway stuff. Mm -hmm. And she's a great actress and she's not full of herself. And she has beautiful children that are that look like her, who looks like um, uh, Amber looks like my other daughter, China, who both look like my wife, Beverly. <laughs> How did I get here? Mm. I'm grateful. Life is mm. good. Mm. Once again, Shadow, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It uh, took a while for us to get here, but I'm sure glad we made it. Me too. Have a good day. You too. I'm Richard Dugan. Thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, where we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, Love to Lal and Jeanette, I am listening. <laughs>